This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to our podcast, Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Today's guest, after a 15-year career as the chief operating officer of a growing architectural firm, she shifted gears and has made a name for herself over the last decade, providing on-call decision support and facilitated leadership conversations for startup founders and entrepreneurs throughout the United States, Europe, and Australia. While she works one-on-one with small numbers of clients, she also convenes facilitated roundtable conversations for entrepreneurs. And each week, she co-hosts the podcast, So Here's My Story. This is a podcast built from real, honest business stories with poignant takeaways and plenty of humor. Uh, You can also find her at the mic as the lead singer of her band, The Wafflers. And if you ask nicely, and I think I will, she might tell you about the time she won first place in a truck pull. I got to hear about this soon. So please welcome to Leading from the Front, Jody Hume. Thanks for having me. Hi, Jody. Hi, how are you doing? Terrific. terrific. So talk to me a little bit about this path. Uh, Look, we've got the chief operating officer of an architectural firm, a lead singer of a band, something about a truck pull, and now working (laughs) with entrepreneurs and small business owners. How did you put all this together? Where did this start? Talk a little bit about your past and uh, how you got where you are. Yeah, I mean, a, a great portion of it was not on purpose, of course, I think, like most of us. Um, you know, I, I mean, honestly, the work I do now, I've only just recently kind of, as someone else pointed it out to me, is actually something that I've literally been doing since I was a little girl, but I'll come back to that in a second. I think like a lot of people, I you know, I started off as an engineering major in college, then I switched, switched to psychology. I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. I ended up taking a job at this architecture firm because actually the real reason is the I was working for the National Institute of Health doing research, and it was when they couldn't balance the budget and they furloughed all non-essential employees, and I got the first job I could find <laughs> because <laughs> I wouldn't have gotten even gotten back pay. I was on an hourly grant, and I just I couldn't go a week without a paycheck, not to mention weeks or months. So that was an accidental step that led me down a path I never could have designed for myself. Um, I thought I would stay there six months go back to grad school. I stayed almost 17 years. And the two really extraordinary things that sort of say happened to me, but that became opportunities for me there was one, they were thrilled to just be architects. You know, we, we were very small when I started, like eight or 10 people. And I like to make things better. And then once they're better and kind of operating, I'm a really terrible person to keep them going. (laughs) 
I am not that person. And so as we grew, you know, I started off, actually, I started off as the receptionist, but within a couple months, the marketing position opened up. So they put me in charge of marketing. And then I kind of made that better. And we hired somebody to take that on. I started overseeing finance. And I just sort of kept land grabbing for things that needed fixed or improved or better. And over time, I just ran everything that wasn't architecture. And they were thrilled. And, and over that course of time, we grew to close to 50 people. So I got to see a lot of different stages of you know the different things that happen as a business grow. They're very distinct. I, I make lots of jokes about business puberty. There's mm-hmm. just these certain stages at certain, like I watched it happen with our company. And then in, you know, at the time I wasn't so wise that I knew that's why that part was hard or that part was awkward or that part was really messy. But, you know, certainly in the years after I can be like, oh, this is what happens when your company's in this kind of situation or in this kind of position. But what was really just a extraordinary experience is from my third month there. So I'm 23 years old because I was the marketing person. I sat in on the weekly Monday meetings, which were were all the principals of the company and me and the the CFO, and every de- every major decision of the firm happened in those meetings. And so I got it was like the best MBA you could possibly possibly ever have because I heard the decisions happening, I saw all the things they were weighing, and it was in that time that I long before I even knew facilitation was a thing, I began facilitating those meetings because it's just. It's how I listen. It's how I process. You know, I would notice that one of them was talking about a project and somebody else was talking about an employee and they thought they just made a decision and they didn't. They would have been totally on this on different pages. And so from there, it's very short. Like I realized that was something I was good at and I wanted to do. So I started taking some classes in facilitation and ultimately coaching. And for about six or seven years, I did both. I shifted the COO job to part time. And I did this business on the side. And then in 2010, I left to exclusively do originally facilitation and coaching and very quickly shifted to, as best I can call it, decision support and, uh, you know, navigational business therapy. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting when you talk about, I want to go back to uh, going from five people to 50 people. Mm -hmm. And what you got to see is uh, actually... um, research that is done by this gentleman called Aziza, who did corporate life cycles mm-hmm. and corporate life cycles describes very specifically at different revenue levels within different industries. I can talk to clients now and say, tell me a little bit about some of the things you're struggling with. And I can tell them yep. what revenue level they're at. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, and, and had I known that at the time, like there were certain places where it, it's why I love the puberty metaphor, because if you think yeah. of all the things that happen to you when you go through puberty, if no one told you that those were things, you would think there was something very wrong with you, that you, you had some serious problems. And if you yeah. don't know anyone else is having those things, it would be a real problem. And it's probably part of where my sort of the spark got lit for me around a lot of outreach that I do now is I I think there's so much damage done by those things not being normalized. Like, because, you know, out in the business world, just shy of, you know, anything just shy of we're killing it or it's amazing or I know exactly what I'm doing or we have a plan and we're following it is kind of taboo a little bit unless it's very secretive with a really close friend or a consultant you've hired or something. And while I understand why those things are kind of playing out that way, I just I think the damage that's done by that and and the progress that gets stunted because you 
think you have a problem that you don't actually, uh, it's just hugely problematic. So to use your metaphor, whether you're early childhood or infant and going into puberty and then going into adulthood and then going into, you know, being old like me, each, each stage has a certain expectation about what you know, what you do and how yep. you live. And if the challenge is, as you're talking about it, is if my company is in puberty and it's starting to grow into adulthood, but I'm still acting like I'm in puberty, right? <laughs> whether you recognize what's wrong or what's right. And I'm now out of the problems of puberty, but I'm still acting like I'm in puberty. Yep. It could destroy the company. Yep. Yep. Abs- absolutely. You know, I'm not a responsible, I'm not acting like a responsible adult. And especially if my company is growing and I'm acting like I'm a teenager, Okay. Yep. And I'm not paying people or I'm not taking care of things or I'm, I'm just having fun or whatever, whatever cliche you want to put on it. I'm sure you, you've got to experience that, see it, and then help people work through that. Right. And, and the damage of it goes the other way around too. When, when you are still a minor, you know, you're still a teenager and you're, I'm just gonna make something up random. You're, you know, yeah. beating yourself up over the head because you don't have a hundred thousand dollars in your 401k account. You're like, well, you're not supposed to, hun, just relax. How about, <laughs> how about you get a job and, you know, pay for your own gas money first. It's so holding yourself like the inappropriate levels of expectations, whether they are overreached or I don't know if underreached is the it's not the right way to say it. whichever way it's not calibrated underreached. Well, we're gonna we're gonna call it that underreached. Exactly. <laughs> How to get there by underreaching? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah so, so knowing where you are, but but that's why that's why I get the, you know stupid platitudes of leadership like it's lonely at the top. Like if it's lonely at the top, you are doing it wrong, and you are you are hurting your company because you have to be able to hear from other people. And I mean, you still have to find your own path. It's not like there's a map. Um, Very rarely are other people's advice or experiences going to directly give you the answers. But that ability to be able to separate fact from fiction and fears is the thing that I end up doing more of now than anything else. That that on-call is, it's not even that I'm helping them make the decision in an advisory capacity. It's what I do ends up ends up being like watching them parallel park a car and and helping them see like, oh, okay, here's the core issue. And then here's five things that that you're wrapping in that actually have nothing to do with this. That's a separate issue that we need to talk about separately. Let's just stay focused on this one right now and figure out the first piece that you have to do. So So you help them get clarity. And I'm going to go back to another thing that you said early on on the Monday meetings. The most difficult role in a meeting is not participation, it's not record keeping, it's not leadership, it's facilitation. Hmm. And most organizations don't have people that know how to facilitate the conduct of a meeting. And what I heard you say is, if people get to a point in the meeting where you can see using your emotional intelligence and your understanding of the business, that a decision has not been made, that assumptions are being made, and you can stop and facilitate that and say, okay, uh, just out of facilitation, let me ask a question. <laughs> mm-hmm. What exactly are you going to do with that employee? Or what exactly are you going to do with that financial situation? I'm yeah. trying to understand where we're going here because I'm I'm just taking notes. I'm just I'm just taking notes here. You just hit on one of the most important things about facilitation. Is you I learned this. It was, it was actually a really fun sort of thing to watch myself go through. It was in the beginning, if because I end up facil especially when I was doing more general facilitation, I'll call it, where I'm just coming in to 
facilitate a conversation in a department or an industry that it's not my industry. I'm just there to facilitate. So it's not required that I understand the complexities of exactly what they're talking about. I have to understand, you know, you have to be able to pick up quickly (laughs) to understand, you know, concepts and categories of things, but you don't have to be an expert on the topic. So there would be periods where if I was confused or didn't understand, my immediate reaction was, oh, that's me. Like I'm not I'm not picking up quickly enough. And then after, I don't know, a year, two, three years, like, I got more and more confident on this. And so I started testing it out. And 100% of the time, if I was confused, and, and this isn't just, I'm not saying like, I'm so brilliant. <laughs> but but at that point, if you listen with, you know, facilitation requires listening with a fuzzy focus, like almost like when you look at those optical things where you have to relax your eyes to be able to see the thing pop out. If you listen with a fuzzy focus, then you can trust that if you don't understand versus if you're trying to actually understand every little thing, there are probably tons of things I don't understand. But if you don't understand when you're listening with a fuzzy focus, it's because they're either skipping something super important or they're talking past one another or any number of other things. And the courage of it comes in being willing to throw that curiosity out there without being attached to being right because sometimes it's not always right. I mean, I said 100% of the time before, but to say like, hey, just out of curiosity, are you talking about a person and you're talking about a project? And then they're back to their part of the conversation. You've pointed out the contrast and then you trust trust what's coming back and let it, let it play again. But you have to, much like in leadership, to really facilitate well, you have to stay unattached from like imagining that you're the person who knows everything. It's more about uncovering the question. Here's the beauty of what you're to what you're describing is, I mean, this podcast about leadership is a responsibility, not a position. You had no position. Oh, zero. You had no, per, you had no personal power. Or, I'm sorry, no positional power mm-hmm. to hold them accountable to continue the conversation or anything. It was all about personal power. And you just ask a couple of questions and you might even make a statement like, well, you're talking about a project. You're talking about a person. Are we talking about the same thing? And so there's, you know, you see a disconnect. And then how many times we'll go to the other direction where two people are so locked in on their own perspective of this thing that they're actually saying the exact same thing with different oh, words. I, I can't. How often even does that happen? Thousands of times or people, people who are, you know, have, there's a small segment of what I do, but honestly, I could, I can only do a little bit of it occasionally. Cause you know, in movies, like <laughs> when like the superhero does the thing and then they collapse to the floor when they're yes. done with their thing, Exhausting. that is, that is how this feels. So I do something that I've jokingly called business couples therapy where, you know, two people are really valuable to the organization, but their relationship has just gone toxic and they want to keep them, but not like this. And I, I have a really good track record with it, but it is exhausting. But that is almost always the case. Like I go in there and I first talk to one of them and then I talk to the other one and then I talk to them together before I even take it on. Like there's a, there's some things I check. I won't take it on if I don't hear certain things. And without question, and this is actually why I feel passionately about the work, as of yet, I haven't heard the exact same wants and desires from both of them. They're actually trying to do the same thing. They're trying to get to the same outcome. They just have such a different perspective or or they have you know, made some unfortunate assumptions based on their own lens that they saw a thing through or their feelings got hurt and then they they you know they got so far away from being able to assume any best intentions that 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 they just they literally can't hear the other person and 
So being able to help people see that they're actually fighting for the same thing, not against one another, is, you know, that that feels so important because so much more than just the, you know, what the department's doing is at stake there. Well, the fight, the fight often in the way you describe it, as I do, as I say, it's they're, they're fighting over the how, they're not fighting over the what, you know, what is the goal of the mission, you know, and they know that, but they, they have their way of doing it. So they think that their way is, and as I always say, you know, vocabulary is very important. So I want to ask you this question in a second, is they have that what they think is the way, mm-hmm. not a way. Right. And if we, if we talk about a way of doing it and the other person gets to talk about another way of doing it rather than each of them locking in on the way the problem is the mindset of the rather than uh yeah yeah absolutely so i have a a question for you though you said you just ran right over this we got to stop you here because you said (laughs) that if you're doing business couples therapy Mm -hmm. there's something in the first conversation that you're looking for in that conversation and Mm -hmm. if you don't hear it you're leaving what is that it's the willingness to, you know, to use your metaphor, although it's not typically how I phrase it, it's the willingness that to at least be open to the possibility that it's either a way or usually it's a little more targeted than that, open to the possibility that the other person isn't a demon hell monster. I'm not asking them to believe that. I'm not asking right. them to take any leap of faith or we're not going to start off doing trust falls or kumbaya circles. It's just, yeah. are you willing to come to the conversation? And I don't ask, I don't let them answer that in the moment. I said, I'm going to give you like a day or two because I, it sounds like a leading question. Are you willing to blah, blah, blah. I'm not interested in your polite answer. If we're going to take this on, don't waste my time. Let's not waste your time and don't waste the company's money. If you yeah. can't come to this with at least a willingness to consider that there are things you're not seeing from your perspective right now, then we're not going forward. Yes. Yeah, so I'm what I'm what I'm hearing with that is you ask that question, are you willing to consider and open it up? And I would say then, okay, tell me what it looks like when we're in we're in the conversation when that willingness is demonstrated to this person you're talking to. I want to hear from you or see from you what does it look like when you're actually keeping your mind open. I break down like grown men breaking down in tears and I'm not being silly. Like when they realize that when somebody else says, you know, when, when they're at least just open to hear it, you can say, I mean, you said vocabulary is so important and it is, but there's so many things that get in the way of words actually having the impact that they could. And Mm -hmm. one of them, you know, I've had people say, no, I, I, respect you and I, I super respect you and I blah, blah. they'd said that sentence a week before that the person would have I'll just make it up thought they were being condescending or just saying something to get their way like they wouldn't have sunk in and that and then also just vocabulary can be so dangerous because people interpret words differently and so they think they've had an agreement and that's not what they meant but in those moments it's almost like if you if you've like a if you'd ever had a pedicure or any kind of thing where they where they uh you know they scrape off a callus and then it's like Mm -hmm. raw skin and then you feel everything because that callus is gone that opening up of just just simply a willingness that maybe they had better intentions and it provides that little bit of rawness that when somebody says something and if they believe them it's such a relief and it takes away all this stress i mean nobody likes feeling that way that people feel when they feel like they've just had this massive disconnect and and it doesn't help anybody yeah, and the disconnect from comes from a mindset of competition versus 
collaboration. It's a it's a competitive mindset that mine mine is the answer. And it it goes back to one of my favorite oxymorons of leadership. And one of the things that I look in leaders is having confident doubt. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. That I, I'm confident in what I say. I know that where I'm going, but but I have a just just enough doubt where I will actually not just listen, but hear hear the opinion of yeah. others. And quite often in demonstrating respect for another person's perspective is so very important to just slow down and not lock in so that I can hear what you have to say and consider it. You just said the magic word, which is consider. Um, a lot of times I'll have, especially, you know, I'm, I work with a lot of owners of companies or the leadership teams, and there will come up moments where they're, as one example, they're terrified to ask the opinion of some of the team, you know, of the larger group, because they're like, well, if, if they say what they want, then we'll have to do that or they'll be mad. I'm like, no, no, people are, most people are not that unreasonable. <laughs> they, they get that. But all most people need is to feel considered. Like do they just, if you can demonstrate that you have given some basic amount of consideration to their thing, and if possible, if you can explain to them why why that doesn't work or why that doesn't work right now mm-hmm. or why that'd be awesome, but this is in the way or whatever. As long as they feel like it's been considered, they'll, they'll at least, you know, much, much, much better than if it feels like it just got brushed off. Yeah. They want to be heard. People want to be heard. And I, I look back on my history of, of how in, in leadership, I've done this many, many times when I was a safety manager of the manufacturing plant that I took over years ago at Scott Paper. I went around and met with all 2,500 people in the plant. I went on three shifts and I went around and I would say, what's wrong with safety? And I would write it up on the flip chart and I'd write it all down. And it would sometimes take 40 or 45 minutes of a one hour meeting. And then I would say, okay, great. This looks like we got, we got some problems mm-hmm. here. You know, and we did, we were 13th out of 13 <laughs> plants. I said, I, I agree. We have problems. Now tell me what we can do. And of course there's dead silence. You know, and I would just sit there. I literally would sit there sometimes for five minutes. I'd sit in a chair and I go, hey, listen, I can wait, but we're going to come up with some stuff on what we can do. So they were so conditioned to talk about what the problems were and not getting any resolution of those problems and not being heard that they stopped talking about what they could do because they didn't believe anything could be done. This is a, you can't ever ignore the way the human brain works. And I remember very, very mm. early on in, I don't know, I was in like high school maybe. And I saw this probably a after school special or something. I don't know. And uh, they were interviewing, but I just, I was so profoundly changed by this 30 seconds in a documentary of some sort. And they were interviewing gang members in, I don't know, LA or something. And one of the things that they discovered, because they wanted to create all the, they, I love things where they go in trying to do one thing and they like find another thing out that's like totally, a completely different thing they didn't even realize was the problem. Maybe because it makes it feel like it's really the authentic thing if it's not what they thought they were going to do. And um, they thought they were going to do all these like super cool programs on like professional development or whatever, like provide kids links to internships for what they wanted to do and whatever. And what they actually end up finding in that when they would say to kids like, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? Or where do you want to be in five years or 10 years or whatever? That there was this, this like dearth of perspective that they would even be around in five or 10 years. And 
and it doesn't have to be that morbid, but but when you have, uh, it just makes such a sharp contrast. Like when you have a lack of perspective that you will have a grown up career, or you know, even not in the most dire situations where you might not be alive, but if you just haven't seen a thing that if you haven't seen people play out a story that is different than the ones that you've seen played out, then it's it's not impossible, but it's really hard to vision that for yourself. Well, you don't know that it exists. You don't know that it exists. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I'm actually, there's a tiny piece of me. So there is not a single thing that I get paid to do now all day long, every day that I even knew existed as a thing until I was at least 32. So when I was having conversations as a teenager, as an early adult about what I wanted to be when I grew up, I couldn't have possibly charted a course in this direction on purpose. You have to just pick up the breadcrumbs. I'm a, I'm a certified speaker for the National Speakers mm-hmm. Association, CSP, right? The first time I ever spoke was when I was 22 years old in front of a group, 22 years old, a second lieutenant in the Army. And when I finished this presentation, that was a spur of the moment thing. And I came where I'm totally energized by this. I was like, wow, this is really cool. But even back then for another 20 years, I didn't know you could actually <laughs> speak for a right. living. No, it's you know, it took me decades, right? Oh, right. wow. There's people that do that. So you know? I, you know, one of my clients that I facilitate, I facilitated for his company a ton, but then he was on like 27 boards and he would have me come facilitate these nonprofit boards and whatnot. So I, I was, you know, he was, he was a huge mentor to me early on, but he called me one time and he said, Jody, we want you to come to this meeting. Um, we're having this big strategy meeting and we'd like you to be there. And I was like, oh, so you want me to facilitate? And he said, no, no, no. We just, we want you there as a strategist and um, here's what we can, you know, pay you for the day and blah, blah. And I was like, oh, okay. So do you, do you want me to like help with, and I kept asking like these dumb questions and he was like, no, Jody, we just, we, we just want you we want you Sit to in the back of the room and take <laughs> the like, money. We want you to just be there at the table and like ask questions and like have ideas if you have them. I mean, there's no pressure. It's not like you have to deliver. And I was like, that's a thing. <laughs> like, that's you okay. can get paid to have cool conversations. <laughs> like, I mean, obviously uh, that's that's not like a job I get to do all the time, but it was just this like revelatory thing. So back to what you were saying before though. Yeah. I want to bring this back like for a second because uh, for leadership, because I had a vice president once that I was coaching and he said, I don't want to, I want an individual contributor's role. I don't want everybody working for me anymore <laughs> because I don't want to be a jerk. Oh, wow. That's an interesting conversation. I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, excuse me. And he says, yeah, I says, look, I don't, I said, well, what if I could teach you compassionate accountability in a balance where you don't have to be a jerk. And it was like, to him, it was like, you, that's a right. thing. Every boss he'd had up till that point had been a jerk. They'd been successful. They made a lot of money and he thought that's what he needed to be. He didn't know any other way. So what we get to do, Judy, is give people and what we talk about all the time are options. Open up the mind to other options. Being able to see a tiny bit further than you can. I often quote this David White poem that I recently, somebody sent to me and I'm completely bastardizing the quote. This is not at all what it says, but I love it. So let's pretend it's from a David White quote (laughs) (laughs) from a poem. But it says something like, when you're lost in the forest, the trees know where you are. And it's why everything I do now, I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you earlier or today, but there's a Seth Godin quote that says, if you have a problem Mm. you can't talk about, now you have two problems. And 
having that other person, whether it's the trees or you or me or a business friend or a roundtable you participate in or just some place where you can have somebody else watch you parallel park your car to point out the things where you're fooling yourself, to point out the things where you actually have plenty of space, you're nowhere near the curb, keep going, don't slow down. Just having that 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 mirror back to you for all the reasons we talked about today is one of the most profound and strategic things that I think you can do. And what's so funny is I've had people say, well, it's just hard for me to ask for help. And I have to sort of stifle a giggle because I'm like, you do realize that leadership, like by definition, is organizing help. Like it's it's not an individual contributor's role. It's a it's a channeling help job. That is what you do. Yeah, that's well put. That's well put. I think that when I when we talk about a lot of this stuff and where we've gone down this path is really talking about a, a real deep level of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And the work that I do with executive teams is create situations where we open up that vulnerability and get people to recognize what their strengths are and what their limitations are. And being former military, I use the military example of this all the time. My son was in submarines. Uh, my four brothers were in the Navy, my dad, myself, 108 years of military service. And one of the things that you learn in the military is if there's something you can't do, you damn well better let people know you can't do it. I love because that. Because if you don't, somebody's going to yeah. die. Yeah. Okay. I, I have a limit to, no, I can't, I can't see that far. I'm not, I can't do that. I can't, whatever right. it might be, you need to let them know that you're incapable of doing certain things and a strong, really strong teams, really amazing teams. First of all, they find out what the limitations of every, everybody is and the strengths of everybody. The one thing I've noticed about the limitations is everybody jokes about it. Everybody cracks <laughs> jokes about what they right. suck at. Okay. And, and they, and they, they yeah. rib each other. You know, I have my team now. I said, Gary, you don't want to do this. Let's take a lot of details. I'm the process guy. So I did details. Holy mackerel. You know, Larry, you take care of it, right? I'm going to turn it over to Larry. So recognizing that, though, keeps us away from the things that we do badly. I think what's tricky about this is there are legitimate places everyone needs to grow or get better at a thing. So it's not like you can just say, all my weaknesses over there in a thing I don't have to pay attention to. But But I would always argue that those are a very limited number of things and most of your weaknesses should just go over there in the, the, I mean, I said it earlier, I am not the person to keep a thing going once it's become like a routine system that you have to keep running every week. If I got hired for that job, I would be fired in a week. It would just be terrible. So I I second everything you just said. It's so important. Yeah. And again, vocabulary, we actually don't use the word weakness. Hmm. To me, it has the wrong feeling about it. It's a limitation. I love that. And with a growth mindset, okay, with a growth mindset, we do, uh, it's part of my seven steps of intentional leadership. And the first step purpose mindset is part of that is having a growth mindset. I can get better at anything. I can't get, I can't be great at everything. Mm. What I want to be great at is those things that the God-given talents that I have, that I don't know where they came from. I've just discovered them. And I want to leverage those and get my limitations to just below mediocre so that nobody notices. (laughs) I love that. I I think like strategic mediocrity is absolutely. Yes, that's good. Yes. Absolutely part of leadership. Building our great strengths with strategic mediocrity. Strategic mediocrity. I have just a quick note on that. I have this friend who does a talk with this concept that the word weird 
was originally, if you, it's a derivation all the way back to, I think, Celtic, maybe Gaelic, I can't remember, but it was W-Y-R-D. And what it originally meant was, I believe it was destiny. And her whole oh. concept was that, like, what makes you weird? The things you can see that other people can't see, the things that you notice that other people don't notice, the things you perceive that other people don't perceive, that is what you are destined, like that's the purpose that you have in the world or they help make that up. I love that component because hyper-focusing on those things, like what is the unique contribution that I can bring that other people can't? And that being the core of what I do. And then if I do some other things strategically, mediocrely well, and make sure that I give everything else to other people, then yeah, that's key. So to wrap up, Jody. I like to ask this question to all my guests. And if you've listened to any of my podcasts, you've heard it. I have. If you could write yourself a letter Mm. and send it back to the young Jody 20 or 30 years ago, although 30 would make you what? 10. Anyway, 20 or 30 years ago. I'm I'm 47. If anything, I lie (laughs) up. I lie (laughs) up. If I said I'm 60, people would be like, wow, you look amazing. Wow, you look great. (laughs) Oh, I got to start doing that. I'm actually 90. If I tell people I was 30, they'd be like, ouch, rough life. Yeah, tough. (laughs) So what would you write yourself if you could write back a few decades to the younger Jody? What would you say? Uh, I wish it sounded a little bit less trite, but it would be something deeply and probably more complexly written that comes back to trust your instincts. Hmm. Just trust every little, more than instincts, actually, like little intuitive nudges Trust every little whiskery fiber of intuitive nudge and pay attention to it. Uh, It's something that I've really leaned into heavily as an adult. And it has, I wish, you know, if I'd done that even earlier, that. So what does it feel like to sense that nudge, that intuition? If you were, if you wanted to go back to Jody and say, Jody, pay attention to this, what would that be? What would that, what would that sense be? So it would be two things. First, I will say that I have come to realize, and this sounds ever so slightly woo-woo-ish, but I actually think it's some sort of biological thing, but whatever. I've come to notice certain physical sensations when I'm facilitating or coaching that do correlate to even when I don't know what the thing is. Like if we're talking and talking and they hit on the nugget of a thing, it's not my mind that notices it. I get this like swoosh of cold, of like goosebumps. Like it, it happens even if I'm not conscious of it. Or sometimes I'll just get this like slightly sick feeling in my stomach. That's and I, what I get. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, what is that? And, and I don't know what it is. As, as I've often joked, my spidey sense is rarely wrong that there's something there. If I try to guess what the thing is, I'm at best a 50-50, you know, I mean, I'm not, it does, it's not like I have ESP, but that, that spidey sense of like, wait, something feels yucky. Did we, did we skip something? Is something being glossed over here that's actually really important? And so I just asked the question like, hey, are we like, hmm, feels like something's not quite right here or something. And, and it's not always right. If they definitively say no, then I'm like, okay, all right, I'll come back to that in a minute. So definitely just noticing those physical sensations you have that seem to come out of nowhere versus, you know, if you just had Taco Bell <laughs> and your stomach, right. that's different. So noticing those out, out of nowhere physical. But as, as when we're younger, we kind of put those senses aside. We don't really pay attention to them. But I think with experience and 
a recurrence of these things and then a connection between things that have happened to us, some thoughts and feelings that we've had, and then outcomes that we've seen. Well, wait a minute. I actually saw that coming two months ago and yeah. I didn't say anything because yeah. I, I wasn't sure about it. And that's what I'm, I think I'm hearing you say. And in the work that we do in facilitation of working and coaching, I know that when I'm with a group or with an individual executive that I'm coaching, there's times when they'll say something and it's like they'll, they'll kind of run over it a little bit. And I go, hold yeah. on a second. Hold yeah. on. Because yeah. they'll say something, you feel something, right? You say, hold on a second. Let's go back and talk a little bit more about that. And they'll right. go, what? About what? Well, 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 like, I don't want to talk anything but that. Let's talk about something else besides that. Yeah, like it, they'll yeah. talk really fast to go over a thing, which, which ties into, and I, I don't know if I would have, I mean, I wish I would have noticed those things even when I was young, but I don't know if I would have. I think what I might have been able to catch when I was younger were the places where at least verbally, anytime I said a thing and then there was like a dot, dot, dot and a, but you know, blah, 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 blah. When I would sort of throw in a clause to explain why that was good enough for now or why, why it was silly that I wanted that extra thing that like, why I should be happy with that because it's blah, blah, blah. Like those qualifiers, that's the word I was looking for. I would be very very cautious of qualifiers when I was younger. Yeah. At least question them, question them a few more layers. Cause it's not like you can have everything you want all the time, but oh, I think I would have been a little bit more discerning about uh, how often I, as my expression, my mom used to say, uh, sh- cutting off your toes to fit in a boot. Yeah. That's, that's a little extreme. Thanks mom. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's not do that. We're going to wrap it up on the uh, the toe cutting with boots from your mom. Uh, appreciate that wisdom. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thank you again for joining us on Leading from the Front with Miss Jody Hume. It's been a pleasure having you today, Jody. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It was great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.